HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash line. Welcome to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. Sweetgreen began over a decade ago as a simple 500-square-foot salad shack in Washington, D.C. Since then, it has grown to become a powerful brand with over 100 locations and a market value well over $1 billion. While previous generations of chains grew through vertical integration, low prices, and franchises, Sweetgreen, in comparison, focuses on localized agriculture and small farm relationships, organic greens, and higher-priced vegetable-based meals, and has no plans to franchise. Perhaps no fast casual food company has changed the way people interact with food so dynamically with such rapid innovation in such a short period of time. Sweetgreen has been at the forefront of fast casual chain growth by making ordering with an app, satellite pickup locations, and low human contact interactions at their restaurants normal for their customers. Sweetgreen has been vocal and innovative in the way it supports local farmers, and has utilized celebrity chef culture to activate new product initiatives and excite its clientele with underrepresented items like kelp and squash. So based on these factors, their fervent following, and their ability to raise capital, is Sweetgreen in a better position than other rapidly expanding mid-sized fast casual brands? On today's episode, I'm joined by one of the three founders of Sweetgreen, Nicholas Jamey. Recorded while the nation was in full, in full quarantine, we spoke to each other from our respective homes. I was in Brooklyn and Nick was in LA where Sweetgreen now has its headquarters. So you may hear the audio falter a bit in the beginning of the episode, but it goes away pretty quickly, so no need to adjust it on your end. Our conversation was framed almost entirely through the lens of pre and post COVID. And we spoke about the early growth of Sweetgreen, partnering with your best friends, innovation and technology in the context of a fast casual restaurant and what the future may hold for his company. So now, Here's the interview with Nicholas Jumet of Sweetgreen. So uh, I wanted to start off the discussion by talking about your uh, partnership. You started Sweetgreen uh, along with two of your, your closest buddies. And uh, I want to ask you about the keys to a healthy business relationship. How do you guys... Uh, create boundaries, create shared values and expectations for the company 
while being such good friends inside and outside of the business? You know, I would say what the partnership and the relationship I have with John and Nate is is pretty special and pretty rare for, from what we've seen now over the last 13 years. And it's, you know, one of the things I'm most grateful for because it's made this journey of building a business and building uh, a company and brand together that much more rewarding uh, and to be that much more fun. Um, and so super grateful for um, to have them. And, I, you know, it comes down to a couple of things. It really comes down to, I, I think ultimately when we met, we bonded over, you know, a few uh, like-minded um, experiences where, you know, our parents were all uh, immigrants that came to this country that built a business and we grew up in that entrepreneurial setting. And so we all grew up understanding the value of creating something with blood, sweat and tears and building it yourself. And so that was something we all really believed in. And we also all had the same kind of problem in our lives of having nothing to eat, you know, at the time in Georgetown when we were students that made sense to us. And so, you know, we all started around this common purpose. And the reason why our, our partnership has gotten, you know, that much stronger over the years is because we all we all have the same vision for what we want to build. You know, we all believe the same thing for Sweet Green. We all want to build the same uh, business and company that has a certain impact. And so we have that common alignment around goals and vision. And I would say that's probably, you know, the most important thing to start with. And then secondarily, I think the reason why our partnership works is that uh, the three of us very early on recognized the value of humility in a relationship, the value of humility in building a company, but most importantly, the value of that humility in the partnership. And then the three of us are very complementary and different, but you know, one of us is going to be right about something every day and one of us is going to be wrong about something every day. And Ultimately, when we're making decisions or deciding things or debating things, we make it very clear to keep the greater good of sweet green in mind. So it's not about any one of our personal, you know, who's right about something or whose idea it was. And very early on, we saw how important that was, not just for the business, but for our partnership. And so we have a lot of trust in each other um, and we don't let our egos ever lead in the room. Um, and so I think that has really helped us um just build a stronger bond as, as partners, as friends, as, as, you know, as colleagues. Cool. Let me ask a little bit about just general inspiration and mentorship. As you've grown the company over several years now, I'm curious, where do you find inspiration? And that can be either from the culinary side or the business side, you know, where do you, what publications, chefs, cookbooks, what interests you on the culinary and business side? And then also, is there a specific person in the business world that you look to as a professional mentor that you, maybe that's the first person that you call outside of your sweet green family when you've got a, a question that really needs some deep digging and deep thought? So we draw a lot of inspiration from so many different places inside the food world and outside. And, you know, ultimately there, there's so many chefs and farmers and, and, and entrepreneurs and other business owners that um, have created uh, amazing products or businesses or stories. And, 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 you know, we're constantly inspired by some of the great creators out there. Um, on the food side, I would say, you know, over the years, we've been incredibly influenced and, uh, um, and inspired by uh, Dan Barber, who ultimately, you know, has helped us think differently about our relationship with food, 
the impact we can have, not just on our customers, but the land and our farmers and really thinking about the conversations we should be having and, and where we should place importance along the supply chain and how we can really rethink our relationship, not just with our customers, but ultimately our producers and growers and farmers. Um, so I think the stories he tells around food um, through his writing, through his cooking, through his experiences at, at Blue Hill is really, um, you know, really one of the more inspiring um, people we've interacted with. Um, and then, you know, we, we get a lot of inspiration from some of the uh, some of the people that are just starting out, some of the chefs that are creating new concepts, some of the, um, you know, it, our inspiration doesn't always come from, you know, something that is at scale. You know, obviously we, we, we look around and look at businesses like Starbucks or um, Lululemon or businesses that have created, uh, taken their purpose and created scale and, and, and really done some great, great, some, uh, created some great impact in their business. But we get a lot of inspiration from the other end of the spectrum you know, the, the artists and creators and, and, and folks that are creating something new with a different perspective. And, and we're always, tr you know, I always at least try to be very uh, um, aware of what, what's new out there and what, who's creating, uh, who's really listening to the customer in the world as it changes so rapidly. So what, almost really trying to think about what's next. So I, I would say we're constantly inspired by people inside and outside of food and at all different types of scale. In terms of growing the company, it, you know, from an outside perspective, it seems like a rapid ascent. You've obviously been inside of it for going on 13, 14 years now. So I'm sure for you, it feels, feels more steady, but you now have, if I have this correct, 91 locations in about eight different states. Is that right? Uh, we are at 105 locations. 105 locations. So yes. And adding a few more states this year. So I think we'll be at 10 or 11 12, almost 12 states this year. So you have over 100 locations, and even though some of them are, are closed right now, or, and many, if not all, are, are modified, I do still want to talk about growth of the brand. How did it work basically in those first couple years after you had a couple open? What was the growth strategy like to go from one, two shops to 10? And, and also, what growth period has been the most challenging for you? Maybe it was going from, you know, a dozen to 50, or maybe it was uh, going over that 100 mark, but curious which, which period really was the most difficult from a business perspective and, and how that strategy has changed over time. You know, I would say over the years, you know, I look back to some of the early growth periods and, you know, when we were, we, were, we started in Washington, DC and really didn't, didn't travel to a new uh, region till um, uh, store number 10 in Philadelphia. And then uh, number 20 was in New York. So really the first large phase of our growth was in DC, Virginia, Maryland, and really, um, you know, planting some roots in that, in that region and, and building a brand there. And so I look back to that and, it, and, and that was some of the moments where we learned the most um, about our business, about um, scale and really took our time to make sure that we could create um, you know, really, really start to hone in on the concept and our vision and, and everything from how to scale a supply chain in a region to how to build a brand um, before we really started to go wide across the country to other cities. And so I'm, I was, I'm always really grateful for that period of our growth because I think it allowed us to really focus, uh, stay focused. Um, and I think sometimes I see 
Uh, and maybe the world is different today than it was 10 years ago. But, you know, I see sometimes people rush to grow outside of, you know, their city into and operating in other regions and or across the country. And, you know, we really took our time before we were ready for that. And, I, and I'm super grateful for that because one of the biggest challenges is starting to operate a restaurant or an operation that is in a different city, you know, where you can't just put your hands around it, basically. And so we really took our time there. Uh, I would say the hardest period of growth was really kind of, you know, when we were in our, uh, you know, store restaurant around 50 up to 70 or 80, because you get to a point where you have to start to build real infrastructure and real systems. And some of the things that you were able to muscle before um, don't work and they break. And, you know, I think the rule, the, the rule they say is every time you, you, triple your business, you have to break all the systems and rebuild them. So, you know, we were at a point there where we had to really take a step back and, and really think about the business we wanted to build and how we were going to create the support uh, and infrastructure to, to create scale there. There's been a, a lot of discussion about uh, Sweet Green's uh, rollout and how, you know, perhaps some people thought that it was uh, slower or faster based on on who you ask and what you read. I'm, I'm curious about uh, plans way down the line in terms of being a potentially ubiquitous brand in America, you know, on terms with a, a Subway or a Burger King, you know, you get off the highway in most places in our country, you see the same usual suspects. Uh, do you have a hope or a plan that that one day you will expand to a level where there will be a, a sweet green next to every gas station in every area of the United States, or is that not part of the plan at all? Our vision for sweet green is to be able to ultimately reach everyone with this type of food and to connect people to real food in a much broader way, whether that means we open a certain number of restaurants or what those restaurants or outposts look like is, is part of the path ahead for us. Um, our business and the channels and that we've built have changed so much, even in the last two years, you know, we've gone from a business that had just restaurant retail to really building out our digital channels and, um, our outpost channel, which is uh, a different product for us. So really thinking about how the business evolves through different channels, um, it is, is something that we spend a lot of time on. So today I can't sit here and say, we're going to have X number of units, but what I do know is that, you know, our mission is to connect everyone to real food. And so we hope to be accessible to, you know, every, everyone, every part of the country at some point. When that is, I don't know. But ultimately, this, this journey for us is to help, you know, people rethink their relationship with food and create access to it. Um, and so whether we're in gas stations or on every corner or, you know, that part of the how we're going to do it um, is, is going to continue to evolve. And, and that's part of what you know, excites me about uh, the future of Sweet Green. I want to ask you about what I what I assume was a very difficult time in the growth of the company when there was uh, some turmoil on your board and people left, and you and your co-founders had to uh, stand by, side by side and really not back down and and stand behind your vision for the company you had created. So, can you talk a little bit like that, just from the perspective of being someone who had started a brand and then people came in and disagreed with you and, and you all had to basically uh, say that, that you weren't going to back down and that the way that you thought the brand should uh, continue to go in the future was, was the vision that, that you wanted for the company. And um, how did that, 
how did that really go down? If you can speak about it in some detail, and also um, how does how did that position you to be a future leader uh, in the future of Sweetgreen? You know, it, it was an interesting moment, and along our journey, there's always been these moments where we've had to, and we do this quite often, where we sit back and really take stock of, all right, we know the broader vision, but how are we going to get there, and what do we have to build? And so we did have a moment in twenty, you know, sixteen, twenty seventeen, where um, you know, the business was doing well and we were growing and we had built this team um, that um, was, you know, allowing us to scale. But we, John, Nate and I really believed that it was important to think about what we were building a little differently. You know, we really needed to think about this digital connection with our customer. And we had started to build it, but ultimately really, really imagining uh, the team we needed to build to, to execute the vision and and how we saw our customer changing and how we wanted to ultimately connect with them um, outside of our restaurants or through these different channels. And it was less disagreement on the board. I mean, we've always been super grateful and, and fortunate to have a very supportive board and board members that, you know, help us and support us and, and have always been supportive of the vision. And, you know, we had some some folks on the leadership team that that believed we should build it a different way. And that's okay. You know, it, it was just different beliefs. And at a certain point, we knew that if we wanted to build the sweet green for the future that we saw, that we knew was, was what we, we needed to, to do to, to be successful and to scale, that we just had to make sure there was alignment internally. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the, some of those leaders left and we, and we rebuilt a, you know, rebuilt a leadership team um, around that new vision. And so, um it's okay if, you know, I, I think what's important is that realizing that, that misalignment was there and making sure that we uh, shifted to, to get alignment. So there's nothing more disruptive than a leadership team that believes different things. So it was definitely a moment for us with a lot of lessons and a lot of growth. And But ultimately, we knew it was important for us to tackle that if we wanted to scale Sweet Green the way we envisioned. Something that, that I always consider as a small business owner is growing not only the business properly, but growing myself as a business person. And I think those are actually two separate things. Uh, I'm curious if you can offer any advice uh, about how you personally over time have grown uh, not only your business, but also yourself as a business person. And what would you say to someone who has a small business right now that's, uh, you know, either hoping to scale it over time or just has a business and they themselves want to grow within it? I am a big believer in constant, being constantly curious and just always learning. And no matter how big you are or how successful your business is, you have to be learning something new every day. And especially in this world where the variables are changing pretty quickly, um, you know, in general, even pre-COVID, you know, the world and, and the customer was changing pretty quickly. So if you're not constantly curious and, and asking the right questions and poking your own business model and, and asking yourself, you know, how, how can we disrupt our own business model, then I think it, that's where complacency sets in. And so personally, whether it's, you know, talking to other entrepreneurs or reading books or listening to podcasts, I'm always so curious to see how other people are building things and how they're attacking problems. And so it's really important to, to have that sense of curiosity and, and lifelong learning. Um, we started Sweetgreen as 21-year-old entrepreneurs that knew nothing. So it was really important for us from the beginning to, to have that sense of curiosity and, and, and uh, thirst for knowledge. So we've tried to maintain that as we've, as we've continued to scale. 
we of course have to talk about COVID and how it's impacting the entire hospitality industry and, and of course all commerce up and down. So to me, it feels like Sweetgreen may actually be the rare food business uh, to emerge from this in a, a relatively strong position. I say that because uh, you have done many initiatives over the last several years and you've embraced technology in a way where um, you have robust online ordering, you have uh, pickup systems that are already basically no contact that people are familiar with. So I'm wondering, uh, do you feel like Sweetgreen is positioned well to emerge uh, from COVID? And uh, can you speak to how your model will be different after all of this? So many of, of the parts of our vision and the things we were building pre-COVID, you know, really pushing our business um, uh, pushing the digital channels in our business, thinking about our our menu and product and how we can broaden it. Um, all those things, you know, we feel more strongly about today than even pre-COVID. And so I feel fortunate that the things we were working on and the parts of our business we were investing in are now more important than ever. Um, our business has been dramatically affected by uh, COVID. And so it, it's forced us to really think about, you know, make some tough decisions and think about um, how we want to evolve our business, and and more importantly, the the time frame, the speed at which we want to make uh, create that evolution. Um, so it's really you know, aside from some of the crisis mode that we're constantly in this past two months, John Nate and I have spent some a lot of time um, in this moment, kind of going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, if we were to start from scratch, if we were to build Sweet Green, you know, today, what would we build? How would we think about it differently? And there's this moment today where we do get to move, you know quicker on, on, on some of that evolution. And so part of that has been exciting, but at the same time, you know, it's been a really, it's been a really tough moment for the business uh, and it's forced us to evolve pretty quickly, whether it's, you know, we launched a whole new menu that uh, we were planning to launch next year. And we, we fast tracked that for a 30 day launch, which for, you know, to roll something out across a hundred restaurants in 10 States uh, was a challenge for us, but our team came together and, and executed, um, executed really impressively. So um, it's forced us to just really double down on certain things and, and rethink our business model and and push towards, again, this vision we had, but probably pushing towards parts of it a little quicker than we, than we thought would, uh, it would come to life. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stick with us here on Heritage Radio. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or a small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. 
See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash line. Welcome back to The Line here on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. Today on the show, one of the founders of Sweetgreen, Nicholas Jamey, talking about the brand that he built with two of his best friends from college. And of course, what's happening now that COVID has overtaken the entire industry. Yesterday, uh, it was announced that Twitter is letting its employees uh, work from home indefinitely. I, I think it's safe to say that they will be not, they will, there will be other companies that will probably allow their employees to work from home. So I wanted to ask you about it in the context of your outpost program and as well as your locations that are in close proximity to major office centers. So uh, how are you and the rest of your team addressing the fact that if, uh, if people can work from home, that may alter your uh, real estate strategy as well as just how you interpret what a, a, lunch rush, a lunch rush used to be versus what it could be in the future? You know, I would say there's still so much unknown about how people are going to work in the future. What I do know and believe is that people will return to offices in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Will, but I do believe how people work and how many people are in the office and how much time they spend in the office will change and will evolve. And so, um, as part of this evolution and rethinking our business, is rethinking everything from the menu to our real estate strategy to our channel strategy, um, and just moving quickly. You know, our, our outpost program obviously was very heavily concentrated on, on offices. And so when offices started to shut down, we overnight pivoted that team um, within 48 hours, made the decision just to move that team to um, feeding hospitals and, and hospital workers um, who are on the front lines, you know, battling this every day. And we realized that we had the infrastructure, we had, you know, kitchens and the sales team and logistics team and all these things that we could leverage to to you know, create that impact pretty quickly, uh, and so you know, within this week or next week, we'll reach almost two hundred fifty thousand meals that we've served for free to these hospital workers and medical staff. And so for us, it was it was it felt good to be able to make that pivot and do it quickly to have an impact. But again, as we think about the future of all of our channels and how people work and whether they're working from home or. Um, However, that changes, you know, our, our business will, sh- will have to shift around it. So um, it's definitely going to, you know, there's still a lot of unknown ahead, but we're learning a little bit more every day and starting to um, make changes and then plan for it. One of the amazing things about Sweetgreen is your support of local farms. It's always been uh, at the center of, of the business. One of the things that has been uh, widely promoted is how when you open in various regions, you create these uh, local relationships. I'm wondering about uh, plans for the future for uh, for even greater integration as you continue to expand. Um, what are plans for uh, maybe your own farms, perhaps, or your own production facilities? Or is that not something that uh, that Sweetgreen is really considering? You know, today we, we remain very focused on um, how we can support the farmers, producers, and growers in, in our regions and this network we've built. Um, you know, I believe being in the food business can be a very hard business. In the restaurant business, it, it can be challenging. Being a farmer uh, is even harder. And so for us, you know, we see our part of our mission and purpose is to be a partner and a counterpart to those farmers that are, you know, treating 
uh, supporting the land and, and, and doing all these incredible, growing all these incredible products the right way um, to be a great partner to them and ultimately help, help their business. So today we remain very focused on, on that and how we can, as we scale, continue to be a great partner to small, medium and large size farmers and producers that are doing things the right way. Um, and ultimately, so much of our food ethos and supply chain ethos comes back to um, not just quality product and, and, and the, you know, the farming practices that these uh, um, growers and producers are, are utilizing, but so much of it also comes back to our belief around just climate and just making sure that we're um, trying to make decisions that are as climate positive as, as, as possible. And so working with farmers and growers that, uh, that are treating the soil the right way and growing the right things. And, and ultimately for us, if we can be a partner that grows with them and allows their business to thrive, then that's, that's really what success looks like for us. I want to ask a little bit about the, the government response, uh, as a whole, we've seen a sort of a, a lack of empathy and compassion, I would say coming from the government and just a, a lack of understanding about how businesses in the hospitality uh, industry work, everything from a 10-seater independently owned business all the way up to a sweet green. I'm not sure they really they really get it. Um, the presidential advisory board was also uh, totally lacking in, in diversity. So I'm curious, uh, what have been your personal thoughts on uh, the government response and and if you were able to uh, to be in a position to be a part of that advisory board, um, what do you think you would say? What would what would be some things that you would put forward as major initiatives? Well, I think what's clear is that whether it's the government or the just the, the consumer base out there, if people really understand how hard hit the restaurant industry um, really has been affected, and so I, I think understanding. Um, understanding that so many of these restaurants or uh, chefs and so many of these businesses might not exist after this. And that's how serious this is. So thinking about um, support, not just in, you know, I I know that obviously with PPP, there was an initial amount of support around protecting team members and hourly workers around their their paychecks, but really thinking about how we can protect um, the industry, you know, in a greater way to make sure that it's, uh, still standing at the end of this. And part of the, part of the problem is no one really knows how long, uh, this is going to go or how quickly, um, business will come back, whether it's when restaurants feel it's safe to open or when they'll be allowed to reopen or when, um, you know, it's also different regionally. So I think it's a pretty complex, um, thing to figure out pretty quickly, but, um, what I do know, what I do know is that, um, and part of how we thought about this is really wanting to make sure that we can make decisions that support uh, our hourly workforce and give them as much opportunity as possible. Um, so many of them live paycheck to paycheck, and so when this disruption happens, it's really detrimental. So you know, I think I'm looking forward to hopefully continued and more aggressive support um, of the restaurant industry from uh, you know as we continue down this crisis. I want to talk a little bit, just kind of building on the, the last bit you just said, which is that uh, restaurant industry employees have always been pretty much paycheck to paycheck. And uh, healthcare has been a, a major concern for the vast majority of United States citizens, but also within the the industry. It's not something that restaurants have, have often been able to offer just based on uh, profit margins and the structure of the businesses. So 
in your position as as the one of the the leaders of Sweetgreen, uh, as you're sitting around, kind of maybe reimagining what the future of business will look like. What types of conversations are you having, and what are you hoping might be able to come out of it for for your employees and also for for all employees that work in the hospitality space after we do reemerge and and maybe things can can reopen. You know, it's it's a great question. I think most importantly, just looking at stability in their you know in their paycheck and making sure that they have confidence that you know they know their paycheck is going to come next week and and the businesses that they are working for have uh, have a chance to survive. Um, ultimately, I think there's you know there's there's greater beliefs around making sure that there's fair benefits, whether it's health insurance or things like parental leave. Um, one of the, you know, our big beliefs and, and big investments last year for us and our team was around um, a really strong parental leave program. And we, we announced this a little over a year ago, uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and it's been, you know, an incredible part of our, our team members uh, life at Sweetgreen is um, five month um, fully paid parental leave for everyone in our corporate office, everyone in, in our restaurants, um, hourly workers, that um, whether you're a father, mother, adoptive parent, um, foster parent, giving them the time um, to really prioritize family and to not have to worry about their paycheck. So that's been an incredible benefit that we've uh, that we've invested in personally. And so I know that you know there's different um, opinions on what you know around federal or state level or what support exists there. But for us, we felt that as a business, we wanted to make that investment. Uh, for our team members and anyone that becomes part of Team Sweetgreen. Sweetgreen has been one of the earliest adopters uh, and proponents of technology in the in the restaurant space, and you've done a very good job integrating it and making it feel fairly seamless for folks to engage with your your restaurant using this technology. Now you're hearing even more talk about um, online ordering and no contact delivery. Um, I'm curious if you can share any of the theoreticals or, or actual initiatives that you've put into place or are going to put into place uh, upon reopening um, that will that will embrace technology and, and may change uh, the way that people interact with with sweet green and other restaurants in the future you know during this crisis time we have been spending a lot of time just trying to think about what the new the new normal is going to be what how the sweet green experience needs to evolve both physically and digitally. Um, thinking about every touch point in our restaurants, um, from how you open a door to uh, how you pick up your food, how you interact with uh, the cashiers. And again, we're fortunate that you know we invested so heavily in the digital channels in our business. We actually launched our native Sweetgreen delivery app in January. So very fortunate with you know that we we made that investment and with the timing there, that's really you know, helped us through this. But we've definitely looked at every single part of our sweet green experience and, and are making decisions around how to evolve it, um, about how to really, you know, think about the pickup experience differently, how to make it really contactless, um, rethinking the digital journey on our, on our app and how to really think about giving customers options around how they want to transact, how they want to pick up their food. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, I would say it's, it's, it's many, many small changes that we're making in the restaurant from safety procedures to cleaning procedures to, um, signage to queuing to wayfinding, um, really again just rethinking the whole um, customer journey 
uh, in our restaurants and, and on our app. Sweetgreen changes a lot, uh, even year over year, especially relative to a place like uh, a Chipotle or a Burger King, McDonald's, where it's like it's kind of been the same since they've opened. But you guys have done 2.0 and, and 3.0. And I'm wondering if uh, you've been talking about um, meal kits and uh, provisions and increasing those aspects of your business where um, maybe Sweetgreen isn't just a place where you come in and get a singular um, bowl of salad or a plate of food, but there's other touch points and, and opportunities to interact with the brand moving forward. Uh, what might that aspect of the business uh, look like moving forward? In this time, we've definitely thought about so many different, um, you know, evolutions of Sweetgreen, whether it's on the product side or business model side. So, you know, the team is constantly exploring uh, different versions. Um, again, I would say more than ever, we've always been committed to pretty rapid evolution and testing things. And so we definitely want to stay focused, but at the same time, speed up that evolution, um, whether it's broadening our menu or, again, thinking about the digital experience, um, you know, there's, there will definitely be some some exciting changes ahead that that we've been pushed um, to make even quicker. So, um, you know, as kind of serial entrepreneurs, we're, we're constantly looking at new ideas, but at the same time, as we scale, we try to stay focused. So it, it's kind of a balance we try to try to strike around innovation and evolution, but also focus and execution. Like everybody else, you've been at home, you've been quarantined. I imagine you've been doing quite a bit of home cooking. Um, is any of that sort of filter back into the restaurant as R&D or are you and your partner just cooking just because you're at home and you want to sustain yourself? Or are you always kind of thinking about what you eat in terms of whether or not it could maybe be a fit for your uh, business? Great question. I, you know, I would say mostly we're cooking just to, to, to feed ourselves and for the experience of it. Um, you know, our culinary team has been hard at work during this time, again, constantly um, thinking about some menu evolutions and, and making some quick changes to our menu for this year and thinking about 2021 um, and starting to, to test some, some plans for that. So, uh, you know, I'm constantly thinking about it at home. I'm, uh, you know, cooking a broad <laughs> array of things, been cooking a lot out of the uh, uh, Allison Roman book, uh, actually is one that I've really doubled down on in this COVID time. Um, so just trying to explore, uh, a bit more and, you know, make, make some new things every week. In terms of restaurants, not your own, but restaurants that, uh, just are like neighborhood joints. And I know that, you know, you're friendly with a lot of chefs and you're obviously a big eater. I, I wonder what are your thoughts on, the restaurant experience and and how the quote unquote new normal is going to be detrimental to that. You know, one of, one of the joys of going to a restaurant is having it be full and the ambiance and being able to interact with your server and all that. Um, how are you feeling personally about uh, all the restaurants that you love and and the fact that they might disappear and or even if they come back, they could be fundamentally changed for forever. You know, I would say overall that gives me a lot of anxiety because, you know, so much of uh, I really enjoy going out to these restaurants and, and being part of that community and, and, and experiencing the hospitality. I don't believe eating in restaurants is going away. 
I believe there's a couple months or a year now where it will change and some of the experiences will, maybe your table's a little further apart, maybe the server is wearing a mask, maybe there's, you know, I think there's going to obviously be clear changes around behavior. Um, I don't believe the idea of hospitality and community and dining in restaurants will go away. Um, so I think it's going to be part of an evolution. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of restaurateurs that are quick to think about how to evolve their business model and their product and whether they're shifting to delivery or meal kits or pantry. Um, it's been exciting to see some chefs, you know, pivot quickly. Uh, and so I definitely uh, am longing for the days when I can, you know, get back into some of my favorite dining rooms. Uh, and again, I do think that will return, but um, I really hope that, uh, um, you know, I hope that reality comes comes quickly. And again, it may, it may look and feel a bit different, but I do think that um, the idea of hospitality is not, you know, is not dead, not going away. One of the really interesting uh, impact programs that Sweetgreen has worked on is uh, involvement with the school cafeteria. And I know that it was just a pilot program to a certain extent, but uh, with schools closed right now and and kids at home and that not really being an option, um, if you could just still speak a little bit to what that program was and when schools come back online, is there um, a plan to continue that or grow that program in any way? Absolutely. It was a program that, you know, we've been working in schools for, uh, say, almost 10 years now. Um, you know, we had a program called Sweet Green Schools that, have, that has grown and evolved. And really the latest uh, um, iteration of that was a really exciting partnership with Food Corps around reimagining the cafeteria experience for kids in schools. Uh, and so um, that is something that we are excited to continue. Uh, it was a longer term commitment we made to really understanding how we can ultimately change the experience for kids when they're um, in the cafeteria and, and, and get them excited about the right kind of foods. Um, and so um, that's something we're very excited to, to continue uh, after this when schools open up again. I want to close on this question, which is, uh, I know it's going to be a grand hypothetical, but still, if, if you could either leave Sweet Green either in the hands of, of, of course, those you trust or maybe happily sell it, allowing you to walk away and, and feel satisfied with what you've accomplished, uh, what would you do next? What, what do you think the, the next chapter would be of your life if there ever was a, a post-Sweet Green? You know, it's hard for me to answer that because even though we've been doing this for 13 years, I still feel like we're very much in the beginning of our journey. And I look at our mission and our purpose and it's, it's a pretty big one. And, and it's, you know, it's a, hopefully a generational vision, something that is going to take a long time to accomplish, but that we can have great impact along the way. Uh, and so even though it feels like we're, you know, at a certain size and that we've scaled, looking at how big the opportunity is, uh, it feels like we're still very early on in our, in our journey and chapter. And so, you know, I wake up every single day excited about uh, growing and reaching more people with our type of food. And and ultimately helping people change their relationship with food. So uh, it's what I think about every day and, and, and uh, I think I'll be doing for quite a while. So again, it's uh, I feel very fortunate to be able to wake up every day and do this. And even in a time like this, when the world is changing and variables are changing, I think you know connecting people to real food is more important than ever. So um, something that I, I remain very excited about every day. Nick, thanks for taking some time to talk with me. 
The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.